I'm excited today, and I think what John was saying is true. We're starting our DNA series, and one of the things about the DNA of all living things, it's the basic building blocks of, of us, right? It's what we're made up of, and it says it's what we're going to be. That's what they say about DNA. It's what we're going to become, and so when we talk about family, dignity, and hope. It's what God is trying to do in the life of this church. He's, it's what he's helping us aim for. So here's the thing. When we, when we, as we start uh, this series, what I want you to keep in mind, it's not just what we are, but what we're aiming for as well. It's the direction that God wants us, wants to take Cornerstone as a church. And so as we jump into the text today, as we uh, uh, travel through 2 Corinthians in the next few weeks, what I want you to do is just see where God, where you're at, but also not just where you're at, but where the church is at and where he wants to take us. And so family, as we start this series off talking about the family, talking about what it means to be a family, what, what does that look like in the life of this church in particular? I want us to be humble. I want our hearts to be gripped by God's words, and I want us to be transformed. I want us to renew our commitment to Jesus and to this family. Amen? So let's read God's word. It's only uh, only two verses today. Uh, you can open your Bibles up to 2 Corinthians, and you can put a bookmark there, because in the next couple of weeks, we're going to be there. And so we're going to start in chapter 1. We're going to start in chapter 1. It's only two verses in chapter 1. It's, it's verse 3 and 4. And so let's read it together. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Why don't we pray? Father, we thank you, God. Thank you for your word. Thank you that your word is true. Thank you, God, that that it is your comfort that we're chasing after. Father, that you have given it freely, God. I pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit move in this place today. That that, that the words that from your from from, from your from the Bible would would somehow impact our hearts in such a way that we will start to live set apart for your word, God. Lord, thank you for your grace. Thank you for today. Thank you, Lord, that you are doing a work in your church. I am. Lord, I am thankful. I am thankful. Thank you, God. So, Father, as we enter this time, Father, hide me behind your cross. There's nothing I can give your people that they have not and cannot receive from your word. So let you be true. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can all can sit down. Thank you, guys. Uh, recently in the news, um, you probably, if you've been watching sports news in particular, you probably heard about Rich Paul. Rich Paul is probably the most powerful sports agent in the world right now. He actually got his start. He was actually in Akron, Akron Canton Airport, and he was hustling throwback jerseys, and that's how LeBron James met him. And through that relationship, Rich Paul has catapulted to be the most premier sports agent uh, that we've ever probably known. He was actually on the cover of Sports Illustrated, a sports agent. Think about that. So, so but, 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 but so he made the news because the NCAA was, was tripping. Let's be honest. They were tripping. Uh, they started to create these new rules uh, for uh, sports agents on who could represent uh, student athletes coming out of college who wanted to go pro. And so what, what, ends up, what ends up happening is that th- 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 there was an outbreak of and an uproar of anger. Why? Because these new rules stated that you had to have a bachelor's degree. 
in order to represent somebody uh, coming out of college as an agent. So they, they quickly named this, uh, 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 they quickly named this uh, rule, the Rich Paul rule. And it, it was an uproar and, and, pe- and tons of backlash happened. Tons of people pointed out the fact that being able or capable of helping these student athletes didn't come by having a credential, having a piece of paper. It had everything to do with his experience, right? The NCAA was saying he wasn't qualified to help people because he didn't have the credentials. They said they didn't care how long he had been an agent. He didn't care about the type of clientele he had to serve. They didn't care about the level of deals that he had to secure for his people. They didn't care about his track record. They didn't care how well he took care of his clients. All they cared about was the piece of paper. They, didn't, they said his experience didn't matter. See, see, we're called to care for one another as a church. As a family, we're called to care for one another. And guess what, y'all? We don't need credentials to care or love for one another well. Amen? See, here's the thing. Pastors and leaders in the church aren't the only ones qualified to care for the church, right? Not deacons, nobody. See, church, what qualifies you is because of what Christ has done for you. That's the truth of the matter. The church is full of people who are struggling, full of people who are going through something. People face sufferings all day long and afflictions. People have to face loss, sickness, struggles with sin, hurt, trauma, all those things, right? And we're called to care for people. People even suffer when they're helping other people in their suffering. Amen? The question I have for us today, do you know what it means to experience real comfort or even comfort others? Do you know why God allows suffering in our lives and how to find comfort in our sufferings? See, here's the thing. And John just bigged up our counselors, and I appreciate them a lot. And they even know this truth, that you don't have to be a counselor to help someone. Our text today says the Lord provides comfort in our our sufferings, and he does this through his people. But here's the thing, though, y'all. Until you experience the comfort of God, you will not and won't comfort others. What I mean is if you're being comforted by God, your life and other people's lives around you will give evidence. That's the truth of the matter. So the points are very simple today. Here's the first point. There is comfort for you. And the second point is very clear as well. There is enough comfort to go around. Amen. Second Corinthians is a very personal letter to Paul. Paul had a deep relationship with this church. And you can look at Acts 18 to figure this out. Paul planted this church, and through him planting this church, he had to face persecution in the synagogue. But see, see, even after Paul planted this church, he kept in contact with them. He had to confront them over their sin. Here's the thing, man. Corinth was like Atlanta during Freaknik. I'm being real. It was a wild place. People had, there was a sex goddess that they worshipped, and people would go to the temple and have sex with prostitutes. Here's the thing, y'all. Paul had to confront them. Even before writing this letter, there was a run letter that we don't have. Uh, he, he had to write a severe letter. In this severe letter, he had to rebuke them harshly. He even sent Titus to check on them because he was so grieved. And, and so here's the thing. When he sent Titus, Titus came back with word that many of them had repented. Praise God. See, here's the thing. But Paul had to write this letter also addressing other issues, like their view of suffering. 
They thought that when they came to Christ, there would be relief from their sufferings, that they wouldn't have to go into stuff through any sufferings. Even they questioned Paul's authority because of his suffering. So Paul had the right to correct them in this and also encourage them to suffer for Christ. See, in this book, Paul describes much of his sufferings. He tells us how to live in light of uh, these sufferings and live out our Christian faith. Yet if you look, even when Paul describes his suffering, he sees it in, still in view. He still sees in view Christ in his view. It is in Paul's experience of suffering where he experiences God's comfort. He's not encouraging him to just accept it. You know what I'm saying? You know how we get, hey, we just, hey, let's just accept that things are tough, right? Let's just accept that things are rough. What he's encouraging them to do is find comfort in Christ. That's a big difference. But, see, I think I'm talking to somebody today, right? Some of y'all know that y'all Christian walk has not been stellar. It's been hard. It's been difficult. Hey, look, look, God has not called you just to accept it. He's called you to find comfort in him. He doesn't want you just to accept where you're at or the hurt and the pain and the suffering you're going through. He wants you to find comfort in him. That's my first point. There is comfort for you. What I mean is that God is the only source for our a real true source of comfort, and his comfort is sufficient. Look at verse 3 in the first part of 4. It says, uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all our afflictions. See, here's the thing. One of the most common things amongst all humanity is that we all suffer, right? See, suffering is either you're either going through something right now or you're about to be going through something, right? You don't have to look very far to see sin's effect or, or brokenness in the lives of us and others around us, right? See, here's the thing. I want to say this as a precursor before I, I continue with this, this message is that, first of all, suffering, I know that suffering is not all the same. I know there's degrees and there's nuances and sufferings. Here's the thing, but I can't address it in a 40-minute sermon. I'm not minimizing anybody's suffering or, or I'm not minimizing their experience, but what I want to do is give you perspective how suffering can fuel the Christian life. Here's the thing. As a pastor, I know firsthand the suffering that's actually in this room right now. I know the suffering that people have gone through. I hear story after story of heartbreak. I, I hear how people are broken, they're, they're hurting, and, and they're going through things. And I want you to know this right now. As your pastor, I love you. I want you to know that I love you. But I also know there are people in this room, and I, and I, I can even include myself in this, uh, in this picture, is that, man, I have had to help carry people in their sufferings. And I know people are carrying people through their sufferings, and they face all kinds of hurt themselves. There's a transference that happens. And I want you to know that I appreciate you. I appreciate all that you're doing. But so no matter if you're the one suffering or the one who is helping carry people in their sufferings, I want you to know there is comfort for you. Here's the thing. Suffering leads us to ask theological questions, don't they? <laughs> Does God really love me? Uh, is God really good? And, or maybe just that general question, why, God, Why? We want to know what God is doing in our suffering. Paul is using his own experience to give clarity to these questions. In verse 5, we get a hint of this. It says, for just as the sufferings of Christ overflow to us, so also through Christ our comfort overflows. Remember, Paul is describing his own suffering in ministry. Don't you remember in Philippians 3.10, he says, My goal is to know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to him, conformed to his death. 
Paul is trying to help the church recognize there is a purpose for suffering. Suffering doesn't delegitimize you as a daughter or son of God. What it does is help you identify with Christ much more. It makes our experience of fellowship that much more complete, friends. Think of it this way. You ever had, you ever done well in life and you were doing good in life and, and you're surrounded by a whole bunch of people and everybody loves you and everybody's caring for you and like, hey man, you're my man, yeah, everything's going good. But somehow when you hit rock bottom, there's nobody there. There's nothing but crickets. You, you, people are, seem to be scarcely around you and you can't find anybody. Let me ask you a question. What would you say about that, those friends then? You would tell me they weren't really friends, right? That's not real friendship. And see, it's not at the highest times where people show themselves to be friends. It's when we're at the rock bottom, you know when a friend is real. Here's the truth about our sufferings. It's in our sufferings you find deepest fellowship with Jesus. Because you share in his sufferings and he's right there with you. Have you ever heard of Joni Erickson Tata? She's a Christian who spent most of her life paralyzed from the neck down. And she wrote books and speaking, and she spoke on this topic of suffering. In her book, A Place of Healing, she says this, He, meaning God, has chosen not to heal me, but to hold me. More, the more intense the pain, the closer he's embraced. It's important to see that suffering doesn't just give us deep fellowship with Christ, but it helps us mature. See, maturation for a Christian is having to realize that we need to be stripped of everything that is keeping us from loving Jesus. God uses suffering to lead us out of sin and into his loving embrace. Listen to what she has to say here. Heartbreak forces us to embrace God out of desperate and urgent need. God is never closer than when your heart is aching. Our suffering as Christians have the deepest meaning. Suffering brings us closer to Jesus. But I think we're short-sighted. I think we're very short-sighted as Christians. The issue is when we suffer, we tend to always look for relief, don't we? We tend to look inside or we look to, tend to look outside to, at our, our circumstances. See, when you suffer, you, can't, you can be extremely self-focused and self-seeking, right? You can't, even, you, you can't even experience God's affirming love because you're so focused on yourself. Especially if your suffering is caused by your sin or the mistake you've made. So you look to yourself to find love within yourself. You try to find comfort and relief internally. You don't want to be riddled with guilt or shame. Sometimes it's not even a sin. It's when you compare yourself to others and you believe that God's affirmation of love comes from the absence of suffering. When you focus on your circumstance, you try to rid yourself of anything that would cause pain or cause hurt. Anything that causes discomfort, you start to try to get rid of or distance yourself from. Amen? Anything that causes you to say, man, God is not good. That's what it does. It, it causes you to try to cut off relationships. You leave always the context when you feel uncomfortable. You avoid. You try to create your own little utopia, your perfect little world. You live with conditions. See, this is our knee-jerk reaction when it comes to suffering. We, we, we want relief, and we'll do whatever it, it takes to find it. Our text is saying, this isn't comfort. Avoidance of pain isn't comfort. It's avoidance, friends. You try to find it, comfort inward, you will begin to affirm and accept sin in you and ignore how the Lord wants you to change. You will not grow. When you try to find it outward, you leave relationships that are hard and you even lack, what? Compassion for those who suffer. 
You will try to avoid circumstances that put you in at the face of God, and you will not grow. Self, suffering helps us grow, right? By causing us to fall out of love with this world, but deeper in love with Jesus. Friend, Paul's point here is that suffering has a purpose. You don't, can, you, and you cannot find comfort from avoidance. Real comfort comes uh, from, from Christ. And what does he do? He gives us real comfort that gives us strength and encouragement in the midst of suffering. So I don't want you to think that God, and, and even in his grace and mercy, uh, doesn't want to provide his people relief. I want to make sure that's clear. He does this. Uh, it's obvious in, in the scriptures that he, he relieved his people from pressure. But here's the thing. I want you to know that he is the father of mercy. And he will remove you from situations. But here's the thing. But mercy can also mean that his plan is much bigger than your relief. Yet also, he is the God of comfort. True comfort only comes from him. I know this might be hard to realize. I know this might be hard to suck in. But here's the thing. You cannot find perfect comfort outside of Jesus. He is our only comfort in the time of need. He is the comfort from God. No matter the length of suffering, no matter, no matter the, the depth of suffering, God is always trying to bring you comfort. Paul isn't describing relief here. But so the natural question is, what kind of comfort is he describing? What kind of comfort is he describing? What are the effects of the comfort he's describing? First of all, it's a comfort that preserves us and helps us persevere. This comfort we receive from God is one that carries us and encourages us. It gives us strength. See, preserving means that your faith in Christ won't waver. Here's the thing. I'm not saying we won't doubt. We won't struggle. But our hearts will be continually won by Christ and the message of the gospel. Suffering reveals where you've placed your hope, right? What you ultimately trust in. One of the evidence of true comfort is an unquestionable faith in Jesus. Paul's letter before he died to Timothy in 2 Timothy, he says this, and that is why I suffer these things, but I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and I am persuaded that he is able to what? To guard what he has entrusted to me until that day. Paul is saying in his suffering, he has an unshakable faith in Jesus that God is preserving him to the end. Have you ever known somebody whose life was thrown a thousand curveballs, that their suffering seems un, undeniable, but it's, it seems so hard that you don't even know why, why they even trust Jesus? This is actually a story of my first, my first, the first Christian I ever met, was my, my friend Nate Mumford. I, I remember meeting Nate, and he was, you know, he was like, you know when you meet a dude, he's like the Christian, like you know he's a Christian because his life gives evidence of that? Amen. And I remember meeting Nate, and I remember meeting him, and I remember he had already gone through cancer one time before. But in my time knowing him, in his 38 years on this planet, he had, he had struggled with cancer and fought cancer four times. And in the midst of him struggling with cancer, he actually lost his brother to a, to a straight bullet out of nowhere. So he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time, and bam, his brother dies. And him struggling with cancer, he lost his mother to breast cancer. And I'm looking at this, I'm like, man, if I know Nate, I love him, he's my friend, but it's like God continually preserved his faith in Christ. Nate had every reason to walk away from God and say, he doesn't love him. Every time I looked at Nate, I was like, man, why are you worshiping God? Because he reminded himself of the grace that God gave him. 
He reminded of the goodness of the gospel. He reminded that he was a wretch undone and Christ came down from heaven and died on the cross for his sins. Church, that is what Nate reminded. And guess what? I sat with him before he died. He was my best friend. And I remember asking him, I said, Nate, what has been the, what has been the thing that has, hel- that has helped you hold on to Jesus? And he said, I just remind myself of how good Christ is. How he did a work on that cross for me. He is so good. Even when I felt like and I knew I was going astray, he would always bring me back because he would remind me of how good he is to me. Every day when I suffer and I feel like giving up, I remind myself of what Nate told me before he died. I reminded myself that when he talks about God's preserving faith, I'm reminded what Nate told me. So what do I mean also by preserving? In the midst of suffering, God will give comfort and will energize you to walk faithfully with him. He will give you strength. Here's the thing. In suffering, there's so many temptations. I know y'all know this. I know there's so many temptations to leave Christ in the church and to abandon ship, right? There's temptations to live in sinful patterns and and try to cope with your grief. I know there is. See, here's the thing. God's comfort will help you live victoriously over sin, living set apart for, for his work. Look, you will steadily grow in this area. You will see growth. It's not about perfection, but God will give you a direction where you continue to trust him. That is the beauty of his comfort and suffering. Paul is saying, if you are suffering, don't worry. God will comfort you in a way that will keep you walking faithfully with him. He will give you strength to walk faithfully. Suffering does reveal everything that's in our hearts. Where our affections lie, where we place our hope. The point of what Paul is saying, I think you can find it in chapter 4. And when he gets done talking about the power of Christ and his afflictions, he says this. He says, therefore, we do not give up. Come on, y'all. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. Paul is saying, we're not quitting. I'm not going to give up on the faith. I'm not going to give up on Jesus because he is able to comfort us, not by protecting us from his sufferings, but revitalizing us to live faithfully for him, reminding ourselves that nothing compares to what God has waiting for his children. Amen. If you are suffering today, God is trying to strengthen your faith muscle. He is trying to help you understand that if you continue to trust him, you will tangibly see how he is able to help you preserve preserve you and persevere. Some of us need encouragement today, right? Because I think we're thinking about these big things of suffering. We think about these big areas of suffering. So if you're going through the smallest area of distress in your life, you can see God's comfort. How about when those unforeseen expenses come into your life and you, you, you don't know how you're going to pay the bill and you're like, man, well, I'm going to trust God. I know he can provide. Amen. He is preserving you. He's giving you comfort. I, I know when sometimes when you, when you, when you got a um, disobedient child and it's difficult and it's rough because you don't know what to do with them, but you're saying, Lord, I'm going to discipline them gently. I'm going to love them like Christ, like Christ would love them. Like he loved me. That is the God's comfort giving you, empowering you to be obedient. I know when you have to respond to being laid off from a job and you 
feel it. You know you don't know when you're going to be able to lay your head next. And I know one thing is when you respond in a way that's like, I trust God. I know he can provide for me. That is evidence of God's comfort in your life. If you're having friction in your marriage, relationships, and it's tough and it's hard, but you don't respond in revenge. That is God's comfort. God is trying to encourage us today to persevere, to see evidence of his comfort in our lives. Here's the truth I don't want us to miss, though. God's comfort is sufficient for all your needs. We have to realize that God's comfort is not just for certain types of suffering and afflictions. Amen? It's for all. It says in the text, it's for all afflictions. Amen. And so what does that mean, though? See, the the truth about God's comfort is that it's, it's always specific for the time of need. God is able to comfort us in any situation. There is no circumstance where God's comfort cannot mold to. I like to think about it like this. God's comfort is like silly putty versus Play-Doh. Y'all know what I'm talking about, right? Y'all don't act like y'all went in junior high or anything else like that. Y'all ain't played with no silly putty or Play-Doh. Uh, so I remember, uh, you know, they do pretty much the same thing, right? They kind of mold. You can form it. You can do all these other king things to it. But the difference is, is that, man, Play-Doh dries out and gets stale real easy, doesn't it? See, God's, God's, God's comfort is like silly putty, y'all. It doesn't get stale. It doesn't get old. It is sufficient for that need. God's comfort never falls apart. There's nothing you can give him that is too hard to carry. Nothing you can give him. Here's, an, here's another one. I got another one for y'all. Have you ever tried to take a straw and drink the ocean? You will be overwhelmed. It sounds nasty, but you will be overwhelmed. Why? Because it's too much. It, it's the, you understand, like, I, mean, I can't do it. It sounds impossible. It sounds like fool. Like a fool to do that. But here's the thing. God's comfort is like trying to take a straw and drink the ocean it overflows it's too much you don't have to worry if it's ever going to run out god is there in the midst of your suffering in the midst of your situation and he's going to bring comfort church you don't have to look outside of god for comfort that's what i'm talking about we can't exhaust his comfort he never gets stale and old and breaks apart there's always be the temptation to follow some type of philosophy that tells you, hey, read this book or, or listen to this speaker. The reality is that, look, our faith is much more simpler than we make it. But it's really hard to live this out. It's when we live together in a community of faith that is dedicated to Jesus. And, and we're trying to live according to the Bible where we can experience this type of comfort. See, one thing Paul is emphasizing in this text today is suffering. Our sufferings aren't just for ourselves. Our suffering is to display the comfort of God and all his glories to others. So that's my second point. There's enough comfort to go around. In this next next verse, we'll see that if you've received comfort from God, you will become comforters. Amen. Now, let's read the second part of, uh, of, of four. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. 
I love Instagram. I ain't going to lie. I'm, I'm an Instagrammer. You know, I don't know if that's a word. Um, but typically what Instagram does, it reveals a lot about ourselves. Don't try to follow me right now. Put your phone down. Uh, I'm on private. My, my profile's on private. Uh, amen. But what it does, is it reveals a lot about yourself to everybody, right? If you look at my page right now, most of y'all already know who follow me, who I've, who I've accepted their friend request, that is. Uh, if you... You already know what 80% of my pictures look like. It's food, right? <laughs> Amen. I love food. You, you, I can't, it's undeniable. You either see it my kid or you'll see my or food. But guess what? There's more food than my kids. It's saying something about my heart. Amen. But one of the things, <laughs> but one of the things I, I enjoy doing with Instagram is helping others come into my experience through my pictures. When I post something good, what do people automatically do? What do they do? They inquire how they can enjoy the same food as well. Amen. They be like, Mo, hey, hey, save me a plate, Mo. Hey, hey, hey Mo, where was that spot out? I want to check that spot out too. Hey, Mo, man, you, man, you, 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 hey, man, you, you don't need to be doing that to us right now, man. I'm hungry, bro. <laughs> uh, here's the thing. I share because I, uh, I feel compelled to express. The, the full enjoyment I got out of that meal, amen? People see the goodness of that meal and want it for themselves, amen? See, God's desire is to display his comfort. We are God's Instagram. We are pushing others to place their trust in Jesus. That what they see from us, they're going to want from us, amen? The way where we find comfort, that's where the world will find comfort. Come on, church, I'm preaching to somebody today. Have you ever seen somebody in the midst of a storm and you're wondering why? Man, I can't believe how they're trusting the Lord through it. If you look at the persecuted church, I mean, you just look at how they, 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 the Lord has kept their faith in him. Like, I, I just get amazed and I'm astonished by seeing that. I get, I get, uh, I get encouraged and, and I get overwhelmed by it. But here's the thing what we do also. We ask the question, God, will you do this for us as well? Is that what you do when you see people going through a tough time and, and you see them suffering and then God is, you've seen them joy and you see obedience out of their lives and you're like, man, God, man, that's good for them. But man, if I was going through that thing too, boy. You ask the question, God, will you do this for me? Here, here's the thing. God's chosen way to dispense his comfort is through his people. Our lives exist to point others to Jesus. This is what Paul is saying to the church. He has personally experienced God's comfort in the midst of suffering throughout his ministry. He wanted them to know that, 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 that God can provide comfort, and he was putting that comfort on display. They have access to it as well. That's what he's saying. We love in verse 4, he says, we are able to comfort how? Through the comfort we received. Here's the thing. Here's the dilemma. The comfort we, we, we have and the comfort we give is the comfort we receive. Amen? What I mean is we're not able to comfort people effectively until we're experiencing, experiencing the goodness of Jesus' comfort. I think many of us feel inadequate to comfort others because we're not experiencing the persevering and preserving nature of God's comfort. Some of us feel like, man, I don't know if I can do this because I don't see myself being preserved and I don't see myself persevering. See, if the comfort we receive does not help people walk closely with Jesus, then it's not God's perfect comfort. Amen? That's what God is aiming us to do, that we are appointing people not to ourselves, but to him. See, let me be careful here. I don't want you to think that we don't comfort each other in some form or fashion here, right? 
We do offer a form of comfort. But I think the big question is, does the comfort you give to help somebody else uh, point them to Jesus and endure to the end? Is that the comfort that you give your friend? Is that the advice you give your friend? Is that the comfort that you, you, you've received yourself? Here's the thing. God wants us to endure to the end, and that's the comfort that we give. We console, right? We help people get rid of the pain, don't we? Man, see, sometimes, you know, we just go around, and, we, and this is not a bad thing. I don't want you to feel this and hear this this way, but it's sometimes we just go to YouTube and say, we just laugh at them jokes. Man, sometimes you might want to turn on a, a comedy special. You might want to do something just, just to relieve the pain that somebody's feeling, right? We want to help. There's nothing wrong with that. But is that getting them to the ultimate goal? And is that keeping the ultimate goal in view? That people need to find their comfort in Jesus. We have a deeper purpose for the comfort that we're offering. We trust anything. Listen, people, we trust anything that works. If something gives relief and gives us peace, that's what we're trusting, right? We're more likely to put our hope in anything that we feel like gives us rest. Here's the thing. You find relief and peace in a relationship. If you, you know, if you find uh, peace and relief in a relationship, that's what you'll put your hope in. If you find relief and peace in money or a position or, or something like that, that's what you'll put your hope in. If you find it in achieving a goal or success, that's what you'll put your hope in. If it's in happiness itself, that will be your hope. Here's the thing. Earlier... We talked about the effects of God's comfort, but how does it actually, how does he actually comfort us? If we know this, I think we'll be able to comfort people effectively in in, in good ways, right? In ways that God wants us to comfort. I want to give you three things that God does to comfort us. And you can find this all throughout the Bible, even in 2 Corinthians. First of all, he reminds us of his love by letting letting us know that he loves us nothing mind-blowing about that but when we're facing suffering and hardships the first thing we do is doubt God's love for us especially if our suffering is brought on by ourselves like I said before we doubt the sincere affections that God has for us even if we know the gospel very well this is precisely why God reminds the churches even in the midst of their sin of his love for them look at 2 Corinthians 5 where she says Christ's love compels us his love fuels our faithfulness Look at the closing of the letter. Paul appeals to God's grace and love through Christ. Paul says, if you're going to truly find comfort from God, then you're going to have to remind yourself of what Christ is, what God has done through you, done for you through Christ. Nothing can draw our hearts back to him better than the love of the Father. Amen? So he expresses his love in in, in actions. Notice that, man, God's comforting words of love are always fulfilled by actions. He actually did take our sins upon himself and went to the cross and died for them. Amen? We can also look at the things that happen after that, where he gives us promises. In Philippians 4, he promised that he will meet all our needs, right? In in James 1, he he says he he promises all wisdom. Uh, In John 10, he he promises our salvation is secure. In, In 2 Corinthians, he tells us that we are new creations. Here's the thing. In Philippians 3, he says that we will get a new body. In eternity, that will never fail. Say, so no matter what your suffering is, uh, God is right there with you with a promise through his son that will comfort you. Do so you read your Bible like that? Do so you look at the scriptures and say, man, this is for me right now. There's a word that God has for you that wants to comfort you, to bring you comfort. This is what Tyler is talking about. 
This is what Tyler is saying, that God has something for us in his word, and we've got to trust his word. He gives us his also, three, his, his loving presence. God is with us through our sufferings. How? He does this through the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Amen. He reminds us of his chief work. He also empowers us uh, to trust Christ through our storms. I love what Romans 8 tells us, that the Spirit intercedes for us in our weakness with wordless groans. Friends, all this is provided by Jesus through his death, burial, and resurrection. All these things mentioned are expressions of God's goodness through the gospel. Cornerstone, can we talk for a second? There's only one thing that will keep us from, 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 from uh, will keep us pressing forward in this life. And that's embracing the love of God in our lives. We have to hold on to it. It has to be our portion. It has to fill our cup. Here's the thing, church. The comfort we give has to lead others to place their trust and love in Jesus. And we have to give them the, 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 the comfort that, that, that's provided by God's empowering love. When we talk about membership here, we, and, I, and me included, me too. I like when John says, me too. It's included in me that we promise that we would care for one another's souls. We promised that we would take care of one another to watch over each other's souls. That would, that's what we meant by membership, right? I, I know this isn't easy to flesh out, y'all. I know this is difficult. I know this is tiring work. Here's the thing. No church has this down pack. Why? Because every church is trying to figure it out right now. There's plenty of sermons that pastors up here trying to instruct their church to live according to the word. None of us live out this perfectly, but we've got to strive for this, right? we got to strive to love and care for each other. Look in this room. We have so many ethnicities. We have so many people that are different from different backgrounds. It is so difficult to try to live this out. But God says this is where we'll find comfort. This is vital. This is, a, this is an important work that his church must do. First, here's the thing. Christ's love is how, how we, is how we push people to find comforting through their sufferings and afflictions. But here's three ways we can model Christ's comfort to one another. They are not an end within themselves. I want to make sure that's clear. But there are means to the ends of us all pushing each other to trust Jesus. We need to tell people, first of all, that we love them. Amen. Why is that so simple? There's nothing mind-blowing here. But but telling people we love them can bring the deepest comfort to each other's hearts, can't they? It it can reaffirm our love. It can be a newfound person that's saying, I love you. But what it does is it unguards us, don't it? When somebody tells you you love you, you kind of be like, freak out, don't you? A little bit, don't you? I love you, brother. Hey, what's up, bro? I love when Bob tells me he loves me. It unguards me. <laughs> but some way, deep and down inside of me, I'm, I'm tingling. It warms my heart. Thank you, Bob. Thank you. It, it makes me feel good. Uh, let's, let me give it a little, hey, what about that? If you've ever been married... Uh, or if you, or you, or you are married, or if you've ever dated seriously, you remember that time when that person, when you first said I love you to that person? You remember that time? Some of y'all freaked out. I know y'all did. <laughs> but remember how affirming that love was for you. Remember how good it felt to hear those words. Here's the thing. Here's our challenge, y'all. God calls us a family, but we, we live like we're strangers. It's not my words. It's God's words. He tells us when he bought us with his blood that he is the father. And guess what? We are his children. And we don't get to choose and pick and choose who we love in the family of God. Amen? Sometimes that's where we react. 
Man, this is a challenge for us. We have to believe God before we believe ourselves. Our knee-jerk reaction to say, I don't know you, better be like, no, I know you because you've been bought with the blood of Jesus, and I know you're a brother and sister because I know you place your faith in Jesus. Oh, but that's difficult because if you look around the room, we're so different. We're so from different places. I'm from Cleveland. You're from Pittsburgh. Come on, Jesus. I'm from Ohio. You're from Michigan. Come on, y'all. It's hard for me to love you. But God gives me the strength to do so. Amen. You are blood-bought. Hallelujah. Amen. When's the last time you told somebody in this church that you loved them? That wasn't close to you. Brother, I love you. I think about people in this church who have told me that. Blair. He just says it. I love you. It just rolls off his tongue. And it feels so comforting. Blair, I know you. I don't know if you're in here right now, but it feels comforting, my brother. See, here's the thing. We need to show our love through our actions. Our words mean a lot, but our actions got to speak just as loud as our words. Amen. Our actions can be a display of God's redemptive work. I love to see people in our church drive out of their way to pick people up just for fellowship. Nothing more just to get with them, to be with them, meet for lunch. I love what Nick is doing when he's asking people on the group me to say, hey, hey, I'm working at this coffee shop. Would y'all want to work with me? I love that. I love people who are emptying their pockets just to provide for other people a meal, in fact. Maybe if somebody's lost their job, you're helping provide for them. You're helping them out. Amen. Here's the thing. I know people who have lost hope to live. And people in this church have been given hope to live again. Amen. This is what I'm talking about. We need to act. We need to be with people. We need to help people out. We need to show our love. But also three, we need to be present with people. We need relationships. And I think John just said this best when he talked about connection groups. We need relationships that exist out of the structures of the church. We want everything structured by us. We think relationships only happen if something, somebody structures them for us. It's like blind date. It's like you being on Tinder. Come on, y'all. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You want things set up for you. You don't want to do the hard work of actually getting to know somebody. But God says you got to do that. You can't look at their profile before getting to know them. You got to meet them. You got to be a presence in there. You can be a display of God's redemptive work. Have a presence in their lives. Show that you are committed. One person I love to, uh, just to highlight right now is our sister Kim Gillespie. I, I love how Kim has done this in the life of our church, but I also see her doing it with her friend who's really sick right now. And as I see Kim spending money, time away from her family, and effort to just be with a friend, flying to Texas just to be a presence of encouragement to her friend. I am encouraged, but we've got to do that for each other, church. The Lord reminds us that he is a present help in a time of need, y'all. The real comfort comes when we are reminded how God's comfort in, how God has comforted us in our sufferings. If you've experienced this yourself, you've got to give it away. You've got to be a comforter. I want us as a church to get a picture of why our sufferings are not in vain. That God is helping us see why while we're overflowing with Christ's sufferings, that his comfort is overflowing in us as well. God displays himself by reminding you, reminding us that he didn't just sit off distant from heaven. Why? Because he came in human flesh and was able to identify with all of our sufferings. Jesus came and suffered unparalleled pain. We have to remind ourselves this wasn't just a, a physical pain, but a mental pain as well. Jesus came to bring comfort from his sufferings. 
He brought us comfort from his sufferings. Looking at Isaiah chapter 44 through 66, we see this theme that God is promising to bring comfort to his people. Isaiah 66, 13 says this, as a mother comforts her son, here's what God says, so I will comfort you. And you will be comforted in Jerusalem. Friends, this prophecy is about the promise of the coming one who would bring comfort to his people. Jesus is the comfort from God. God's desire to comfort humanity was so great that he didn't remove Jesus from this world. Even when things didn't look like it were going his way, he allowed his son to suffer and die that we might find ultimate comfort. That we would find rest and relief. This is why God can say to us through scriptures that come to me all who are burdened and heavy laden and I will be your rest. Jesus is the comfort of God. When you came to Jesus, did you find comfort and relief? I know you did. Because I did. And that same comfort I know exists in this church and we must give it away to one another. Here's the thing church. This is where we're going to go. And I want to cast a little vision for us going into the next year. First of all, I think we need as pastors to equip you for this work. That's the, that's the desire. That's what Ephesians 4 tells us, that we need to equip this church for the work of caring for one another well in the life of this church. That's what we want to do. And that's what we're going to do. But I want you to engage I want you to be here. I want you to be present. As we go through and provide opportunities to help you grow, you've got to be a part of them. You've got to be with us in those things. You've got to be faithful to those things because this is the work that God has called our church to do, to encourage one another, to help one another, to help each other persevere in our faith and, be, and preserve our faith in Jesus. We've got to take this seriously, our church. We need more rhythms in the life of our church where people are just gathering and encouraging each other through God's word. Connection groups can't be the thing that that's where we do that. We need other places where people can just find comfort and love, work through the hard stuff in life. Amen? And that's what we want to do next year. So here's the thing, y'all. I know there's going to be challenges. I know there's going to be hard. Things are going to feel always easy in the midst of this, but be with us. Travel with us. Journey with us, church. As we figure this out, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you for your grace and mercy. Thank you for your love for us, God. Thank you for the things that you've done, God, for us through your son Jesus, that we now can comfort others because we have received the comfort that you have given us. God, I pray that our members would know your comfort. Experience your comfort. Feel your love, Lord. I pray, God, that you would shape us, God, mold us, Conform us into your image. Lord, we love you. We trust you. We believe you, God. We believe you. God, we believe you. We trust you. Hold us, God, in your infinite arms, God. Wrap us in your infinite arms, God. Love us, God. Love us with that love that we've never known before, that is never extinguished, never, never gives up on us, God. That transforms us, God. This is my prayer for you, for our church, God, that we would know you and the power of your resurrections and the fellowship of your suffering.